Today we're in Revelation chapter 20. We're so near the end, but this tiny little chapter has so many theological tangents and rabbit holes that we could go down. There's a lot of debate just around this tiny little chapter, um, but as always, as we've been doing in this series, we're going to be looking at what the text has to say itself and considering some themes and motifs that we see here that are within the wider biblical narrative. So I really hope this episode is helpful to you today. My name's Megan and here I talk about the Bible. I spend some time reading through commentaries and studying passages and then chat through here about what I've learned so you can learn that info on the go, doing your cleaning, while you work and I really hope this just feels like grabbing a coffee with me and doing a deep dive into scripture together. Let's get on with today's episode. So, Revelation 20, um, I was sort of just just scanning my Bible this morning and as I was preparing to do the research for this and I thought, oh, this will probably be fine, it's quite a short chapter, it won't take me very long to kind of pull my thoughts together on this and, and the information from the commentaries and stuff and and, um, and make this podcast. <laughs> I was very wrong. So, <laughs> this chapter is short but there is a lot of theological debate that stems from this chapter and actually the way people interpret this chapter tends to um, affect the way they interpret the whole book of Revelation. If you were to do a course on Revelation quite often they start with the positions that come out of this chapter and they will tell you those first and they'll tell you uh, the different views and timelines that people decide about Revelation according to how they interpret this chapter and then that is through the lens through which they will teach um, the whole book and I have deliberately resisted doing that in this series obviously this series has just been going through verse by verse but in approaching Revelation, which is the six session home group study I've written, which is available for free as a PDF on my website, I don't talk about this um, because I, I find it quite unhelpful sometimes to start in that place of trying to make a timeline um, from the book before even studying the book. I think we need to study it for what it is as a text and and then we can ask these questions about timelines and I understand why this language has come about it's come about to, for people to try and explain their interpretations but more often than not people are taught the interpretations before they even read the book and um I just don't think it's 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 helpful um it didn't help me because when I did that myself I was just reading the whole thing going does this fit this interpretation does it fit that interpretation or does it fit the other interpretation and I wasn't just reading it going what is this book saying about Jesus what is this book saying about the biblical story what is this book saying about what's true what's it saying about God what's it saying about me what's it saying about about Christianity in general or spiritual warfare or any of these important big biblical themes that as we've seen as we studied this book are just all over revelation they're just absolutely everywhere so I will give you a brief overview of those interpretations in a moment um, 
but yeah, that, that's kind of where I'm not going to go massively into detail. I will link in the show notes some resources. Um, Craig Keenan's video on this is really helpful and Remnant Radio have done a lot of interviews with different scholars that have different interpretations. They're really good if, as a longer form to consider these things. So I'll link those below if you want to look into those. You will come across the terms when you are talking about Revelation with other people. But let's get on and actually read the chapter. Chapter 20. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it, and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer, until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image, and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the a thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison, and will come out to deceive the nations that are the four corners of the earth. Gog and Magog will gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea, and they marched up over the broad plain of the earth, and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulphur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night for ever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. For his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So the part of this that everyone debates about is about this a thousand years. Um, and when the a thousand years occurs, so this is a very, very brief overview, but the kind of three main positions on this, there is A or R millen millennialism, I can never say it, millennialism, A millen millennialism. <laughs> um and that kind of believes that this thousand years um is a symbolic number it's like psalm 90 verse 4 you know it says that to the lord a thousand years are like a day so it's it's a symbolic thousand years and um it represents the present age the church age um in which the kingdom is is now and not yet christ is reigning we are sort of reigning with him as the church but um 
Satan's restricted in in what he can do, but he's not completely chained, basically. Um, I'll go into that a bit more in a minute. Um, the other two positions are more based on a um, literal understanding of a thousand years being literally a thousand years that is pre-millennialism, which um, means that the thousand year reign of Christ will be after his return um, and it's in the future. This is quite often paired with kind of rapture theology and stuff like that. And then there's post-millennialism, which says that the thousand year reign will actually be before Jesus returns. So the idea is that the church kind of brings more and more of the kingdom of God to earth and then it will be really great and then Jesus comes back. Um, so those are kind of the main positions and like I said I'm going to link in the show notes more resources on those because that is a very brief overview um, there's more to it there's a lot of scripture and arguments and philosophy that goes behind those different interpretations it's worth looking into them because like I said people use them to talk about how they interpret revelation when people ask me which of these do you think is correct um i i tend to favor a millennialism or our millennialism depending where you're from um but not in every aspect so like i said these they're very defined positions um and they're very kind of neat boxes and i I don't really, I don't really want to commit to so neat as a box or something like this, which is prophetic, and I just feel like there's a lot of stuff we can't and um, don't know, um, and we won't know until it happens. But I think in terms of the thousand years, I do think it makes sense within the narrative here that it represents the present age, as in the church age. Um, so some people will call me an age millennialist because of that. However, not every point that they um, put across is a classic a millennialist argument. I would agree with, if 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 kind of put it that way. I think the thousand years makes sense because elsewhere in Revelation we get time periods um, assigned to different things, and in the Old Testament as well. And these time periods aren't literal; they are symbolic and representing um like we talked about like representing persecution um things like this so i think the a thousand years being like a day to the lord it's a thousand years it kind of makes sense to me that it doesn't have to necessarily be exactly a thousand years like it just represents a period of time um in which god is overseeing what's going on the scholar i would kind of align myself with most is michael heiser and uh I, you know i've mentioned him a lot i think What's really great about Michael Hyde is he really tries to get into the biblical worldview um, and answer all questions from that perspective. And he resists these terms. He doesn't like to be put in a box um, with the way he interprets this. He kind of thinks this is the present age, but he does think that Jesus is going to come back for a literal reign on earth. So there's a bit of overlap with what he thinks. Um, I'll link his podcast in the show notes as well because he goes into a lot of detail about why this is the case um basically the main argument he has is that 19 revelation 19 that we read last week 
and this passage here is all kind of riffing off Ezekiel um, chapter 38 and 39, which is sort of about that Armageddon battle. Um, and so he's saying that because we get that Armageddon thing repeated here, um, these two chapters aren't giving us a linear chronology. They are giving us a kind of repeated story of, of the same event. Um, we see this, this battle or the gathering together of people twice. We see it at Armageddon, we see here with Gog and Magog um, gathering together forces that want to fight against God to be the Most High, um, led by Satan, deceived by Satan. Um, and he says that's the same thing. So it's just kind of reiterating this. So he thinks because of that, the year thousand years is representing the present day and the church is reigning with Christ as the inaugurated kingdom, the now and not yet kingdom is in existence. Um, in the way we live today as Christians, we are seated in heavenly places. Um, we are ruling with him and Satan is limited. And I think this is what I really wanted to touch on today. And it's what really stood out to me when I was researching this passage um, and in the midst of all that debate about timelines and things. There's something in this passage that really speaks into the biblical narrative right from back at the beginning of the Bible. And I think it's really significant and I think it can be missed when we when we just focus on timelines. So I want to speak on that a little bit now. Um, but like I said, if you're interested in all this timeline stuff and you want to understand it a bit more and maybe think about what you think works with the text itself, then have a look at the resources that I've linked in the show notes. Anyhow, what Michael Heiser emphasises here, and I think is so interesting, is about the way Satan is bound and the way he deceives. So if we are taking these a thousand years to be the present age, the church age, um, which I do, you, you may not, but bear with me for this, because um, I think this insight makes more sense of this whole thing. If we're taking this to be the church age, we know that Satan is not completely disabled, I guess, like, unabled. Um, after Jesus' death and resurrection, death is defeated. Satan's power um, is lost, but he still operates in this world. Throughout the New Testament, we see loads of passages about this, about standing firm, about resisting the devil, the devil's schemes, um, warning against how the devil's going to try and turn you away from Jesus and and being wise in that. There's there's just so much in Jesus' parables, in Acts, in, in the letters about that. Um, 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. We have all this stuff in the New Testament about how the devil still has this this level of power what he's wanting to do is drag people into onto his side to um, be honoring him and not be honoring God however at the same time we see that the church has an authority over the devil um, and this is specifically through Jesus and the fact that through Jesus's coming into the world the kingdom of God has begun to come um, is that now and not yet. So if you look at Luke 10, where Jesus sends out the disciples, he gives them the authority to cast out demons. 
and they're very excited about this. And when they come back, Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. So let's let's just read a little bit of Luke 10. Luke 10 chapter, uh, sorry, Luke 10 verse 9 says, this is when Jesus is instructing the ones he's sending out, heal the sick in it, in, in a town, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. And then he goes on to say, when they return, he says to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. So it's this kind of interesting balance between Satan still having the ability to tempt people and try and turn them away from God. And yet Jesus saying, I'm giving you all authority over Satan. And basically what changes when Jesus comes is Satan no longer has power against those that are members of God's kingdom. Um, Those that are saved through Jesus, that have been brought into a new creation, into the body of Christ, members of the kingdom of God that has, is the now and not yet, that's going to come, that's kind of already come as we see in this passage in Luke 10, has come through Jesus. Um, Satan can't control them. He can't deceive them anymore um unless all he can do is tempt and and they can give in so he still has a hold on people that are not part of the kingdom um but once they enter into the kingdom satan's hold on them is much less but they have to be aware and this is why i think this is the the kind of the church age they have to be aware that satan is still there trying to tempt people where does this all come from in this in this passage then in revelation chapter 20 well it's in this phrase that we get at the beginning of chapter 20 in verse two or no three sorry um satan is thrown to the pit it's shut and it says so that he might not deceive the nations any longer and when satan is released from the thousand years he comes out to deceive the nations and then we see the nations gog and magog gather for battle trying to bring the people within the nations to this final hurrah of satan where he's trying to overthrow god so what's happening here is is god saying i'm stalling satan's final eschatological um attempt to overthrow me i'm stalling that and that attempt is going to involve the nations so what god's trying to do is save people from the nations before the nations are turned against him by satan He's not allowing Satan to do that yet because he wants to save people from within the nations before Satan's powers as the the prince of the world turns the nations against God. This is why in the Great Commission, people are sent out into the nations. Um, He doesn't, he's not letting Satan do that yet. Satan's power is limited. And at at the end of time, Satan's going to turn all the nations against God. Um, and they will lose. We will see here, this, this judgment happens then. And it's only those who have their name in the book of life that have been saved through Christ, who've lived a righteous life, which we can only do through Christ, that are saved. Um, the nations turn against God and God wants as many people saved out of the nations and brought into Jesus as possible before he allows Satan to do that. That's going to be Satan's last try at trying to overthrow God. And God knows that. And the way this connects back to the beginning of the Bible is something that Michael Heiser talks about a lot as the Deuteronomy 32 worldview. And if you've read any Michael Heiser, you will know what that means. Again, I'm going to link his podcast in the description. It's quite meaty, but it's helpful. I will also link a video on the Deuteronomy 32 worldview and how the nations are put under Satan's authority um, 
and what that means. But basically what's going on here is it's saying Satan's power is limited while people get saved and people get brought into the body of Christ. But at the end of time, he'll be allowed to do this final big plan that he's been plotting um, and it won't work. But he will drag a lot of people along with him, people that are part of the nations and aren't brought into the kingdom of God. And that's why the Great Commission is so important. That's why we've got to go out into the nations. It's not just geographical. It's saying go into the places where Satan's still the prince of these places and win them to Jesus, win them out of that, um, out of that bondage. What we see in this passage is at the end, when Satan tries this last thing, he will fail. There will be this judgment where God will judge righteously those whose names are in the book of life that are in Christ that have lived righteously will be will be those who um, have been resurrected with him and been brought into new life with him and are going to be members of the kingdom of God and those who aren't are going to go with Satan and they're going to go with death and Hades death is going to be destroyed and this will be that that's it like that's it there's no more chances the second death they'll be taken by the second death but we see that those who are following jesus are not hurt by the second death they are brought into the kingdom of god and i think this is why the whole thing about the thousand years that i get why people want to try and make a timeline of this it's comforting to make a timeline of revelation and feel like we know what's going to happen and there's an extent where that's important but the most important thing I think in this passage that I've spoken about is this motif of Satan's plans to overthrow, to bring people with him, to turn against God and how he wants the nations and the people in the nations to do that with him and end up in destruction with him. And God doesn't want that. He wants the church to be a witness to the nations. He wants as many people to be in this resurrection, to be with him and... Um, let's not lose that focus when we read this passage due to debates uh as interesting as they are there's a lot more i could talk about i feel like a lot of the imagery in this though we've already touched on um throughout our series in revelation so we can put the pieces together by reading it but i hope that was helpful and i hope it has encouraged you to keep sharing your faith to be praying for your family and friends who don't know christ to be praying for those who are going into the nations and sharing the gospel we want them to be in the kingdom of god with us and we'll learn about that next week all have been judged and now the kingdom of god is coming in fullness the new heavens and new earth chapter 21 i'll see you then so much for joining me for today's podcast if you have five minutes to leave a review of this podcast on whatever platform you're listening on that would be really really helpful and it would help more people like us who might enjoy studying the bible to find the podcast and to join us in our journey if you'd like to support me in making this podcast financially you can use the buy me a coffee link that is in the show notes to just donate a little bit towards making these resources you can also follow me over on instagram at bible with megan or one word where i update everything that's going on and have content on there as well so i really look forward to seeing you next time for the next episode of the bible with megan podcast